Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How about you? All right, today is a, is a big day. As we saw in the video, God has done some incredible things that were beyond what we could have even imagined and beyond what we possibly could have accomplished outside of his power and his provision over the course of the last seven years. He's been writing this beautiful, amazing story through this community that's touched hundreds and hundreds of lives, and I'm so grateful I've gotten to be a part of it. God has done things I wouldn't have even dared to dream before all of this started, and I've had a front row seat to all that, and it's incredible. And today's a big day because we're going to turn the page and begin writing the next chapter in the revision story, in our story. And I'm pumped for that because I love great stories. I stand up here every week and tell you guys stories. Most of them aren't great stories. They're just dumb stories about stupid things I did or horrible things my kids did. That's mostly because I've done an abnormal number of stupid things and I have abnormally horrible kids. (laughs) I wanted really badly to say that with a straight face. But anyways, the, the actual reason I tell stories is that they're meaningful. I think there's something about the way we're wired as human beings that is drawn to great stories, so much so that it affects our entire existence. We read stories. We watch stories on TV and in movies. We tell stories, but ultimately, we live stories. And what's fascinating to me is that with the stories we read or watch, we have a pretty good ability to tell whether it's a good story or a bad story, an epic story or an awful one. But the ability to identify or even write a good story doesn't mean we have any idea how to actually live one. I mean, we all live a story. That's not a choice. Everybody lives a story, but living a great story, a story that matters, is a choice. And so what I want to do over the course of the next month is invite all of us to step into this significant moment toward what God has next. Because I believe he wants to write an even better, more beautiful story for every single one of us and for all of the people around us. I think there are times in your life when it's just your moment. Your moment to do something that's bigger than just your life. Where God looks at you and says, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? And this is a moment like that. This is a season where God's inviting us to choose to step toward the great story he wants to write and the great future he wants to build through this community in our next chapter. And if this is your first time at Revision or your first time watching online, I gotta let you know this is not a normal Sunday. This is geared a little bit more internally toward those of us who would call Revision home. But I'm actually really glad you're here or really glad you're watching because you're gonna find out today what it is that matters to us most. You're gonna learn today and over the course of this month what we really care about and how passionate we are about the mission we've been given. And for those of you who've been around for a few months or a few years or more, 
I'm going to invite you and challenge you over the course of this month to take an ownership stake in the next chapter of the revision story because I believe it's going to take all of us to get to the place God has dreamed up for us. It's not going to be easy and it's not going to be simple, but I have good news. For the last seven years, God has gone before us every single step of the way. He has paved the way every step of the way and he's going before us now preparing to write a better story for us and the people we crash into in this city preparing to build a greater future than we could possibly imagine even if we're not sure exactly what it looks like. Which is kind of what he did for this guy named Nehemiah about 2,500 years ago. As we go through this new Build the Future series over the next few weeks and talk about the next chapter of Revision Story, kind of at a high level today and in more detail in the coming weeks, we're going to track along with the story of Nehemiah because I think there are some things in his life that can give us a bigger, better picture of who God is, who he's inviting us to be, and what he's inviting us to do in this season. So if you have a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open to the book of Nehemiah. It's toward the beginning, sandwiched between Ezra and Esther. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the words on the screen or in the Revision app. And if you need a Bible or your kids do, we have them in a whole bunch of different colors for a whole bunch of different ages. Back at that Next Steps table, we would love it if you take them before you leave today. They're completely free. Before we jump into Nehemiah's story, a little bit of background. He was a guy who lived during this period of time known as the Exile. Both Israel and Judah had been conquered by the Babylonians and their people had been carried away to live in an entirely different part of the empire. About 50 years after that happened, the Assyrians conquered Babylon and they had a different philosophy about conquered people groups. And so they let some of the Jews go back home. And then a hundred years passed and this guy named Nehemiah a Jewish guy, found himself living in the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, working as a cupbearer for the king, Artaxerxes. I'm going to repeat his occupation real quick. He was a cupbearer. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest. He was not a king. He was not a warrior. He was not a leader. He was just an ordinary dude whose job it was to drink the wine before they handed it to the king. And that wasn't to test whether it was tasty or not. That was to test whether it was poison or not. Like they didn't want the king to die. And Nehemiah was a dude whose life was so expendable, they just used him as a poison tester. They'd have him take a sip and then stand there and see if he died. They're like, oh, he's still kicking. King can drink. Like that was his life every day until one day everything changed. He got news from the city of Jerusalem that absolutely wrecked him because he realized that God's dream for the world, God's mission for God's people couldn't be fully actualized until something that did not yet exist became a reality. This is what we read in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali, in the month of Kislev, that's December, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's modern day Iran, it's the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now fast forward to chapter 2. Nehemiah says, in the month of Nisan, which is March, or April, somewhere in there. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. 
I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. So here's what's going down, and here's why this is such a massive deal to Nehemiah. In the ancient Near Eastern world, every major important city, and especially one with a temple in it that was the center of worship for an entire religion, every single one of them was surrounded by walls, which served not only as a point of pride, but as a piece of protection against enemy attacks. And Nehemiah is kind of living, assuming that since it's been a hundred years since the exiles went back, somebody took the walls King Nebuchadnezzar had shattered and burned and rebuilt them. But then his brother tells him that's not the case. Not only are the walls in ruins, but the people of Jerusalem are vulnerable to enemy attacks. They're being oppressed. They're being attacked. They're being beaten. They're, they're having their goods and their valuables and the goods from the temple stolen from them. And it's been happening for 140 years. That's a long time, you guys. That's kind of like us saying the defenses of the United States have been down, enemy, or any enemy who wanted something has just basically pillaged us since the end of the Civil War. It's kind of crazy to think about. That's 160 years. 140 years, God's people have been oppressed. And they're not just ashamed at this point, but the temple which was meant to be this space where the Jewish people could crash into the presence of God and then go out and shine his light to the nations around them. It's a shell of what it was meant to be because the walls are laying there in tatters. And Nehemiah, this ordinary dude, hears about that and he just has what I like to call a twisted sister moment. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if Nehemiah got a perm and put on a leather jumpsuit. He might have. I don't know what fashion was like in Iran in 2500 BC. I wasn't there. But no matter what he was wearing, no matter what his hair looked like, he had this moment where he's like, look, I'm not going to take it. I'm not taking it anymore. I'm going to let God break my heart for this thing that breaks God's heart. And then he let God call him to do something about it. And there are three steps he takes along the way that I think equip him to build the future God had in mind. And the first one is he looks out at the world as it is and realizes it isn't the way that it should be. And his first response to that is to sit down to cry. He sits down to cry. And not just a few tears, not just a little bit of a whimper, he weeps over the situation in Jerusalem. He weeps over the idea that the mission of God to spread his love to all the peoples of earth is not moving forward the way that it needs to move forward. His heart is wrecked over it, kind of like Jesus' heart was wrecked over the temple 500 years later when he realized that it had shifted from being a place of worship to being a marketplace where the poor were taken advantage of and oppressed. He weeps and I look out at our city and I wonder, what are the things we should sit down to cry over? What are some of the things God looks and, and weeps over? And I can't help but think that it breaks God's heart. That there are somewhere between a third and a half a million people in Des Moines who 
who aren't connected to any church at all. There are hundreds of thousands of lost people all around us. Some of them know it. Some of them don't. All of them desperately need to breathe the oxygen of God's love. That's why this church exists. That's why we started it in the first place. From the very beginning, Revision Church has existed to help people meet Jesus and follow him fully. And we've seen that happen in just unbelievable ways. In the last seven years, over 200 people have given their lives and futures to Jesus here at Revision. Over 40 in the last year, eight so far this fall. God is on the move, you guys, and it's amazing. This church continues to grow and touch lives in ways that, again, are like beyond my wildest imagination. I got an email a couple weeks ago from this guy who came to Revision for the very first time drunk. He was struggling with alcoholism and addiction and came here because someone told him this is a church where he could just show up and be. And he felt welcomed. He sent me this email and said, Mike, I just want to say thank you because Revision was a lifeline for me in a season when I needed it. I met Jesus there and it changed my life and it continues to be a lifeline for me. And I read that email and I almost lost it sitting in my office because I'm so thankful that we can be a place like that. That we can be a place where an addicted, struggling, broken soul can step in and immediately be loved and immediately be welcome, that we have been a place like that for so many people. I mean, before the pandemic hit, we were growing at this unbelievable, like not normal by any stretch of the imagination rate of about 20% per year, 20% per year, 20% per year, and then COVID hit and it just exploded everything. And it's been a wild ride for the last two and a half years, but for the last two years, like since the fall of 2020, we've grown by 30% per year in an era where that's even more ridiculous and less normal than it was before. And it's amazing. But if that growth rate continues, and even if it slows down, which it almost certainly will, we're not going to have space in this gym for very much longer. Like We have room to host about 200 people per service. And if we outgrow that, we can probably do three services for a while. I don't know if Jeremy can sing that much. His voice might get tired, but I can preach three times. Like, we can do that for, for a little bit. And we're in that sort of a space. And the goal here and, and the problem here isn't that we need a space to house all half a million lost people in the city of Des Moines. That's never been the vision. We're trying to plant churches all over the city to reach people we're not reaching. But the thing that haunts me, that haunts me, is the idea that, like, what if that guy who emailed me, what if the day he showed up the first time, or maybe not him, maybe a year from now, what if someone in that exact same space in life shows up for the very first time, not knowing whether they're gonna be accepted by a church at all, not knowing whether church is even a safe place for them to be, walks through those doors and there are no chairs left for him to sit in. What if in the fall of 2024, a family of five who's going through a really difficult season, desperate for hope, thinks maybe God has answers and decides to check out Revision, but they get here and there are no parking spots for them. And maybe they even park across the street and eventually make their way inside, but there's no room. On one hand, that's a great problem to have, but on the other, it's tragic and it's heartbreaking to even think about because the truth is the day that anybody gets left out is the day the vision that has propelled this church forward from the very beginning begins to shrivel up and die. Like when we can't be a church anymore for anybody who isn't already a part of us, 
then the mission goes by the wayside. And the internal pull when we don't have room for anybody who's not us to become a part of us is to turn inward and just be a really great church for us. That's the gravitational pull of every church on planet earth and it's fun and it's comfortable and it's great to be a great church just for us and a great church just for churchy people. I've been in those churches. I've worked in those churches. And let me say, they're not all bad. There's some unhealthy churches in the world, but there are some things I love about every church I've ever been in. There's a lot of good that happens in internally focused churches that are just for them. There's fellowship that happens and community that happens and Bible studies that happen. And they're not all bad. Great churches for churchy people, but they're not us. They're not us. There are plenty of them all around us if that's what people are looking for, but God has never asked revision to be a church like that. He's asked us to be an outpost for the broken. He's asked us to be a light in the darkness. He's asked us to fight to be a community that continually welcomes more people in so they can crash into Jesus, fall more in love with him, and take steps to follow him more fully. He's asked us to be a community where people can show up in the middle of their mess and immediately be loved and feel welcomed. And that's the reason we do everything we do. Like one life at a time, one soul at a time, one story at a time, one inch at a time, we are fighting to change the world because we believe when people crash into Jesus, he has the power to change their future. Like nothing in this world is more valuable than a human soul. And everything we do is aimed in the direction of that belief. Because I just, I'm convinced with every fiber of my being that it breaks God's heart to see hundreds of thousands of people far from him in this city. And I'll tell you, it breaks my heart to imagine a day when more of them come and we don't have room. I realize that's kind of an intimidating problem. It's kind of like, well, what can we do about that problem? What can I do about that problem? We can't magically make this gym bigger. We can't even make this gym not smell weird some Sundays. Like, it's beyond us, and it is what it is. And so, like, that first step is like, okay, God, let me, let me line my heart up with yours. I'm, I'm sad over it. Now what? And that moment is what leads Nehemiah to step two of his journey. He kneels down to pray. Nehemiah hits his knees, and he says, okay, God, I'm not okay with this. I'm not going to take it anymore, but what can I do? How can I help? And understand, as he prays that, he's over a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. Nothing in his head is thinking, you know what I should do? I should go there to help. He's just saying, hey God, I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll help. And he prays it because he has no idea how dangerous it is to ask God how you can help. But I'll tell you right now, that's the most dangerous prayer on planet earth. I prayed it once at 5 a.m. in the dark sanctuary of a church called Alianza Cristiana del Valle in McAllen, Texas, and God rerouted my whole life, and here we are. It's dangerous because we usually pray it thinking, well, I'm just one person. I don't, I don't have a lot to offer. It's just, it's just me, but God, how can I help? But um, it turns out that one person plus God equals all the necessary ingredients to change the world. That's what Nehemiah found out. I don't think he was fired up about it at first. I'm convinced there's a reason that four months passed between him crying and weeping and beginning to pray and him finally going to King Artaxerxes and saying, I think I'm supposed to go build that wall. 
I don't think he was fired up at the beginning about uprooting his comfortable life and taking on a challenge that was epically beyond his capabilities. Like, hey man, why don't you go on an incredibly dangerous thousand mile journey, take up a project that no one's been able to complete for 140 years in the face of significant opposition? Sounds fun, right? Wrong. It sounds hard and awful. Like, I'm sure the first time God tugged at Nehemiah's heart for it, he was like, oh, no, Lord, I am a cup bearer, not a wall builder. I don't have the certification for structural engineering. No. And he sat there in the silence until God looked at him and said, yeah, well, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? And it wrecked him and rerouted his life. And I think God is asking us those exact same questions in this moment. I think for our community, this is a Nehemiah moment where God's inviting us to take steps one and two and then take step three, stand up to act. You know, Nehemiah saw something that wasn't and realized it had to be. He saw what did not yet exist in the world and realized for the mission of God to reach its maximum potential, for the best possible story to be written, the thing that didn't exist needed to exist. And so he went to go put up that wall. Right now, we don't have a space of our own in which to meet. A revision building doesn't exist. We don't have the space to continue growing at the rate we're growing for very much longer. We don't have the space to partner with people in the community that we do reach Des Moines with, that we'd like to give space away to. We don't have a space for Revive, our youth group, to call their own. We don't have a space to train, release, and send out church planters in the way we want to send out church planters. We don't have the space to do a lot of the things we believe God is calling us to do. In this season, a revision building does not yet exist. But in the next chapter, in order for the mission of God to move forward as fast and as effectively as possible. It's a thing that needs to exist. I know that brings up a whole lot of questions. Like, okay, what does that look like? Where are we going to go? Are we going to build a building? Are we going to, like, renovate an existing building? Do we have one picked up? What, is this, what, is, what in the world does this even look like? And we're going to answer as many of those questions as we can over the next month, but the simple answer to all those questions is, Ah, uh, we, we don't know yet. Here's the thing. God works in ways that are beyond our ways, so we're taking nothing off the table for him. We don't know whether it means buying an existing building and renovating it. We don't know whether it means getting some land and putting up a building. We just know, we have this conviction that if we don't move proactively now, believing big that God will continue to be what he has always been to us, faithful, then we're gonna to have to move reactively later if we're gonna be faithful to him. And so we just know now is the time to move. And that's kind of the spot that Nehemiah was in. He didn't know exactly how to rebuild a wall that had been laying as a pile of rubble for a century and a half. He didn't know what it was gonna look like. He just knew that God told him to go and so he went. And he found out when God's in it, you don't gotta know how to move right now. You gotta know how to move right now. And so that's what we're doing as a church. Today we're kicking off the new chapter of the revision story by taking a big sacrificial leap of faith. That's the way we kicked off the last chapter. That's the way we're gonna kick off the next chapter, taking a big sacrificial leap of faith. We are gonna raise the funds necessary 
to find a permanent space that allows the mission and vision of revision to move forward and allows us to keep reaching lost and lonely people in Des Moines. And for me, it's been like a, just a crazy season the last year, praying and fasting and praying and fasting for this, and just the last six months really preparing. And it's hit me in this season every time I drive by a church building. I can't, I can't help but think. Like every church building I see, every church building I've ever set foot in is there because a generation decided that they were going to self-sacrificially step into something bigger than themselves. That they were going to choose to follow God into an epic story and give themselves away to build something that echoed and continues to echo beyond them. Every church building is there because a Nehemiah generation decided to sacrificially take a step toward the future of the kingdom of God in the world. You guys, I believe this is a moment where God's inviting us to be a Nehemiah generation. To take a self-sacrificial step. And I think it's a gift. I think he's giving us the chance not just to live a story, but to live a great story and to write a better story for ourselves and for our city for the purpose of helping what is not yet become what is. So the mission of helping people meet Jesus and fall in love with him more deeply and follow him more fully can move forward with as much speed, as much gas, as much fuel on the fire as possible, right? At this point, I want to invite the ushers to hand out some booklets. They look a lot like this. If you're watching online, there'll be a link on our website tomorrow. You can find the booklet there. If you're here, grab one of these. I want to encourage you to read through it over the course of this week or, or read through it over the course of today. And again, we'll answer all the questions you have this month. I'm going to be at every single house group doing a Q&A. Any question is, is fine. But here's the gist of this. We are not changing direction here at Revision. We're not moving in a, in a whole different way toward a whole different vision. God has been moving and he's been blessing this community for seven years. And on the foundation of that past, we are going to build a future by getting a permanent space for a vision. And in order to do that, our goal is to raise $750,000 above and beyond our regular giving. And it's important that it's above and beyond because we have a mission to keep chasing right now. We need to do some stuff before we move. And if we stop chasing the mission right now, none of this matters at all. And so we need to keep funding that. But we need to raise an additional $750,000 over the next 26 months by the end of 2024. I realize that sounds like a crazy big goal and a huge scary number because you were thinking like, how in the world can we take a half a million dollar annual budget and then over the next two years turn what would have been a million dollars into almost two million dollars? But the thing is, God, as always, is going before us and so we know that we can move on this and we can move now. He has paved the way every step of the way and we're trusting him to do that now, just like Nehemiah trusted that if he was gonna get this thing done, it was gonna take an absolute movement of God and the absolute commitment of a community to go all in. We're doing that same thing. We are trusting that God will move big again and I'm inviting all of us, every single one of us, to go all in in order to make a difference and build the future of revision. Because when we do that, lives change. I sat down this week and I made a list of 
all the one-on-one conversations I've had over the last month. And you guys, I've talked to multiple people who are dealing with struggling, failing relationships. I've talked to multiple people who met Jesus here at Revision recently, and they're taking their, their first steps along the journey of faith and figuring out what that means. I've talked to multiple people who experienced tragedy over the last month. A lot of medical stuff that's going on. And to a person, I've heard over and over and over again how this church has been community for them, how this church surrounded them with love, how this church propped them up and propelled them forward. And I'm convinced there are more people out there in Des Moines who are desperate for a church that's willing to do that. And so we have to build a future where we can reach them. Like stopping now, I'd rather die. I'm not even kidding. I I would rather die than just say, oh, this is good enough. Let's just be a church for for us with the knowledge that there are hundreds of thousands of people out there dying for the hope that lives inside of us. We have a big vision and an even bigger God, and so I'm asking you to take a bold, courageous leap of faith and believe the past has been a blast, but the best is yet to come. There's a future God wants us to build, but it's going to take all of us to build it. In the back of your booklet, you're going to find a a pledge card that looks like this. Two weeks from today, on Sunday, November 20th, I'm going to ask you to turn these in. And we're going to have a big celebration. We're going to give out super soft t-shirts because that's a revision-y thing to do. That same company that gave the last ones. Oh, they're so soft. We're giving more of those away. We're going to have a big celebration and we're going to like begin writing this next chapter in the revision story. We're going to raise $750,000 over the next two years. And again, I realize that sounds like a crazy, huge, scary goal. But I want you guys to know something. I think you deserve to know this like transparently. Jenny and I are all in. Financially, we're all in at a swallow hard and make significant sacrifices over the next two years number. At a percentage, it's like if everyone in this room gave it that percentage, we could pay cash for a building in two years percentage because I will not ever try to lead you somewhere I won't go first. I am all in. Our staff is all in. Our board is all in. The key leaders from all around this church are all in. And you guys, we're over halfway there. We've got a long way to go. It's going to take all of us to get there. There's a whole second half. It's going to take more gifts in the, in the orange zone on the back of this pledge card. I know some of you are looking at it thinking, those are big numbers, and others of you are looking at it thinking, that's peach, not orange. I deal in the Crayola 8, you know what I mean? Like we got a long way to go, and all of us got to get there, or all of us got to pull together to get there, but we are over halfway there. And if we can give above and beyond that number, we can move faster and dream bigger and I can't wait to see it happen. I was talking to a financial leader at Revision this month, and he said, Mike, I want you to know that we're going to give significantly toward this, but not out of any sort of compulsion, just out of extreme excitement. Because I think right now, Revision is the best place I'm investing my money. I don't know if you've noticed, but the market is not nailing it. My retirement doesn't look the same way my retirement looked a few years ago, but the best ROI I'm getting on any money I put anywhere is this church that's rewriting people's eternal futures I'm ready to give. And I'm excited about that, and I really do believe this is the greatest ROI we can get anywhere. And so I'm going to invite you, I'm going to ask you, will you engage this Nehemiah process in the Nehemiah way? Like before you even think about an amount to give. 
an amount to write on that card and turn in in two weeks. Will you take it to God? Because I believe this is spiritual more than it is financial. This is something God wants to invite us into. This is a big faith-growing opportunity, and it's something God wants for us way more than he wants it from us. So will you start where Nehemiah started? With all three of these steps, will you do step one? Will you sit down to cry? Seriously, will you look around you at this city? Will you take a minute to look around you at this state and this nation, at all the division and the hatred and the violence and the addiction and the hopelessness that fill this place? And will you give God a little bit of space to just wreck your heart for the stuff that wrecks his heart? And then will you kneel down to pray? And on that one, you don't have to kneel. Like I, if you're old like me, your knees make a whole Rice Krispie noise when you kneel. It's like snap, crackle, pop. I gotta wear loud headphones at the Y just so I can't hear them. Arthritis is on the way. That's my problem though. Anyways, the prayer part, the posture isn't important. The prayer part is important. However you pray, will you pray about it? And then will you stand up and move? Will you come to God with open hands and pray that dangerous prayer, God, how can I help? and then move toward whatever it is he's inviting you into, even if it's scary, knowing that there's a thing he wants to do through your life. And it might not change your life in the next two or three weeks, but it'll change your life over the next two or three years, and it'll change this city over the next two or three decades, maybe even the next two or three centuries. I don't know. All I know is I would never put a lid on what God can do when his people step out in faith. And I know that what we do now will echo beyond us if we will cry, pray, and move. I think if we don't do it, if we don't all do it, we're going to miss out on the fullness of what God is dreaming up for the next chapter of our story, both as individuals and as a community. You guys, I am convinced God wants to move in ways that are beyond what we could even ask or imagine. The Bible promises us that's who he is. And so the question before us isn't whether God wants to reach our friends and neighbors. We know the answer to that. The question isn't whether God wants to draw the people we crash into all around this city every day into his love. The question isn't whether God wants to write a better story for Des Moines than the one it's headed toward right now. We know the answer to that. The only question is whether God will have to find somebody else to do later what he was inviting us to do now. That's the only question. It's the one that keeps me up at night and wakes me up in the morning. God is inviting us, you and me, Revision Church, to build a future where people in Des Moines can keep crashing into Jesus, falling more in love with him and following him more fully. If you build what you love, will you build this future with us? We commit to it. If you have, or if you will, you'll have a front row seat to the next chapter in the revision story. And there's a cost to the front row seats, but they're worth it. I can tell you from personal experience, I'd pay that cost every time. The revision story began seven years ago with this tiny little handful of people who had no money but big faith and were willing to take this leap, believing that God would show up. The next chapter in that story begins today as we take another giant, significant leap of faith, knowing that God will show up again in one hard-fought inch at a time, one life at a time, he'll work through us to change the world. I can't wait to be a part of it. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you love. 
Thank you for inviting us to live epic stories. Not just to exist and, and cruise through life and live unintentional stories, but to be a part of this great, amazing story you are writing for the world. To be a part of this beautiful story you're writing through Revision Church. Lord, I thank you for the chance we've had as a community to be a place that welcomes in the broken, that helps people crash into you and fall in love with you more fully. And I pray in this next season that you'd work in our hearts, that, would, that you would use our love and our passion and our self-sacrifice to build a future where people continue to crash into you. Lord, would you keep using us to drive your mission and your kingdom forward in the world. And thank you. Lord, most of all, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done, for who you have been, and we thank you in advance for what you're gonna do next. Amen.